Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you spending some time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Uh, hi, Fred. Hi, everybody. And hi, Andrew. <laughs> Lots of news to get to, and the perfect guest with us, The Verge transportation reporter, I think senior reporter, if I'm not mistaken, Andrew Hawkins. Really appreciate you jumping on with us, Andrew. Yeah, it's my pleasure to, have, to be here. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me. Well, the big headline straight from your Verge story is this. Waymo will allow more people to ride in its fully driverless vehicles in Phoenix. Now, Waymo has been testing vehicles in the Phoenix area for, for something like, I think, three and a half years or so. So take us into the story, Andrew, and what's really new here. Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to. So uh, Waymo, obviously, it's the self-driving unit of Alphabet spun out of uh, Google in 2016. Uh, yeah, they, and you're absolutely correct. They've been testing their vehicles in the Phoenix area since around 2017, um, they have several hundred vehicles there, maybe even close to a, a thousand by this point. It's, I haven't gotten, had a, uh, an accurate count yet from the company, but they made this announcement yesterday that they will start inviting people, more people, uh, into their fully driverless level, level four vehicles uh, for ride hailing purposes. So these are paid rides that uh, Waymo provides as part of its Waymo One uh, taxi service. Uh, so at first, it's just going to be uh, the people that are already signed up for this taxi service, this Waymo One taxi service. Now, who is that? That's around, Waymo says they have around 1,500 monthly active users of this program. Uh, it was the same back in December of 2019 when I asked them that question as it is today, still the same uh, 1,500 people. So it doesn't seem like they're uh, bringing a lot of new people into this program yet. They're trying to keep it at this level. Um, but they say that uh, while those people are going to be the one, the first ones to get access to these driverless vehicles, they hope to eventually, uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months, expand it to more people, invite more people to, to download the app uh, and register for, for this service. Uh, it operates very similar to how uh, you know, ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft do. You pull up in the app, you hail a vehicle, it comes, it picks you up, it takes you where you want to go. Um, but unlike those services, it's very... The geographic area for the service is very limited. Um, Waymo only operates within a 100 square miles in the Phoenix area. Uh, it doesn't include downtown, only includes the towns of Chandler, Gilbert, Mesa, and Tempe. Uh, and the driverless vehicles, the ones that are le the level four vehicles, only operate in about half of that uh, service area. So we're talking 50 square miles as opposed to the 100 square miles. So a very limited number of people a very limited service area, but still kind of a milestone, a, a pretty significant uh, announcement from this company that has far away been sort of considered to be the, the leader in autonomous vehicle technology. Alan, Andrew, Alan uh, I know Andrew, you see it as a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah, Andrew, let's, let's make sure that we're careful here, okay? This is driverless. No, it's This is driverless. No, there's no, no, no people no in the front but there, well, there is a remote operator. There's a remote team that the the the, the riders can uh, get in contact with and are watching these vehicles as they travel. Correct, but there, yes, no one, no one in the front seat of the vehicle. No one in the front seat. No one in the back seat. No one under the under the 
under the mats, uh, no, right? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's really important. You know, I don't know how many folks have gone out there and demonstrated all this stuff with hands off wheels and, and feet off pedals. And here it's doing it by itself. And there's a guy in the back seat who's, who's actually not in the video, sitting there making sure and, and diddling and, and dwaddling, okay? I yeah. Mean, so yeah. The, the number of people that have faked it is everybody up to this point, except for maybe Waymo a little bit, once in Austin, maybe a few last year, and now this, right? I mean, this is really what they have. Right. It, from from all that I can tell, and I've ridden in these vehicles before, everything that, that I, I've seen, yes, indicates that this is a truly self-driving car. This is car. truly, they is aren't, truly self-driving. They aren't faking it. Now, they what, aren't faking it. Now, whether or not they have an enormous pipe going into that sucker, and they have who knows who in holdout mountains of the of Colorado and whatever, watching over this thing and making sure that remotely things are going... They haven't told us yet, but they've certainly hinted. And in fact, California requires it if you're going to do in California. And probably it's prudent to have some people back there. You know, why not? I mean, you know, we are at the beginning of this and we, 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 can't, afford a, uh, we can't afford an Uber, you know, um, uh, problem, right? Yeah, correct. And, and I, I've actually asked them about this before, the, the whole concept of the, the remote operators, because there is, I think, a lot of questions around, uh, you know, you've got a team of people who are watching these vehicles through the camera, the internal cameras, the external cameras. Are they watching real-time feeds? Do they have the ability to actually teleoperate these vehicles, control these vehicles remotely? Waymo says no. They say they, they, that they're not joysticking the car or anything like that. They can help answer specific questions that the car might have about an ambiguous situation, for instance, a double parked car, you know, a, a flipped tractor trailer in the middle of the, of the highway, something like that. Uh, but it, uh, as far as we know, it, they're not actually controlling the vehicle. They're, they can prompt the vehicle to then make its own decision, uh, but they can't control it itself. Yeah, I, I, they certainly aren't controlling it because otherwise they, with the bandwidth issues and the latency issues, you could probably only do a handful anyway. I mean, anybody Correct. that even considers doing that is, you know, they won't scale. They're never going to make a buck on it. Okay. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, but the ability to be out there and if the thing sort of craps out, I, they, I would suspect they can joystick it to move it off Correct. the road. They yes. can do some limited thing. They could do the, the one-offs yes. under the, the, the things. I, I would hope so. I mean, I, you know, you wouldn't have built such a system without that capability, right? As well as intervene, talk to the customers, make sure they're comfortable, and so on. Right. There, need, there, there definitely is a, a customer relations element to this as well. There, you know, this is, like you said, it's a brand new thing. You, you can't really anticipate how people, how the people are going to react. How Absolutely. You know, members of the general public are going to react to being in a vehicle when suddenly you, you need to pull over for something. There's an emergency. Uh, you need to get out of the vehicle right away. How do you do that when there's no one to tell in the driver's seat? Well, you need to be able to interact with some sort of remote service operator to tell them that. It's an extra layer, layer of work that's sort of on the customer to do, but it, it is available to them if they need yeah, it. Yeah, uh, of course. So having, having 
a remote operator. There are some people, maybe skeptics, who think, well, this doesn't really count because you have that there. But right now, I guess it's it's the smart thing to do because customers may need to talk to somebody for one reason or another, right? Yeah, right. I think, yeah. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, of course they do. And, and, and this is the beginning. And, and maybe now it's really, uh, you know, one remote uh, observer per vehicle. Uh, but, you know, tomorrow it's going to be one per two. And the day after that, it's going to be one per four. Day after that, it's going to be one per who knows how many. And this thing, this is scalable because uh, as, as if everything is running just smoothly and whatever, I mean, those people have nothing to do. Everybody's happy riding, no problem, da, 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 and so on. Probably a little AI can do some of it too, so you don't have to do that. But you're always going to have to have some somebody overseeing your operation. I mean, you wouldn't run a company without it. You aren't going to send vehicles out there and say, you know, manana, you know, whatever. That, that's, that's not being a responsible operator, being responsible to your customers. Of course, you're going to do that. Well, I, I think what you, you talk about responsibility, Alan, and you've said this all along when it comes to Waymo. Craftjick uh, has been more or less promising this day for a long time, a couple of years uh, been promising it, but they didn't seem to rush it. They, they didn't do this before they felt they were ready to do it. They, and they you, did it responsibly. Andrew, what do you, I mean, you, you're betting the ranch on this thing. You can't have another Elaine Hersberg incident. You can't, at least not now. Yeah, they, they definitely have been, uh, they've been cautious, I would say, but they definitely had a few fits and starts with it as well. Um, I think it was November, 2017, Kraftchik uh, was on stage at a tech conference in, in Lisbon, Portugal, and he said, fully self-driving cars are here. And he showed a video uh, of the company's driverless cars picking up and, and dropping off passengers in Chandler. And he promised at that time, within the next few months, more people would get the chance to ride uh, in these vehicles. That, that didn't really end up happening. Uh, it was a whole another year before we got another video showing more people, more uh, 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 the members of, its, of Waymo's early rider program, these folks that sort of test out the vehicles, uh, have NDAs with the company uh, using, using the fully driverless cars. But we can never really, we never really got a clear sense from the company, how many cars they were operating, how many trips they were doing, sort of what was the, the parameters, what was the geographic area. Um, and it wasn't really until the end of last year when they started um, uh, inviting press, members of the press to come in. And, and, and I, I, I myself went, flew out there and, and took a ride in one of the vehicles um, to sort of see, the, see it up close. And it was at that point, I think that we got a sense of what this was going to look like from like a product point of view, which was how they were going to start marketing it in the hopes of actually making money off of it. Because after all, this is Google. You may think of them having an unlimited fountain of money to pour into this thing, but that, that isn't the case. And clearly there's some pressure coming down from the top, especially with some of the recent uh, executive moves um, with, with, you know, with Pachai being sort of the, the head of Alphabet now and Google, uh, that there's more pressure to obviously that they need to start seeing some some return on on obviously the, the billions of dollars that they've poured into this project so far. So they're, they, they're approaching it cautiously. They've sort of had some false starts uh, previously, but it seems like now they are finally at long last ready to start opening this up to more people and, and then eventually the, the general public in, in the Phoenix area. One of the yeah, things Andrew, that we talk Andrew, about Andrew, a lot. Oh, go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, 
to me, I, I, I look at this thing. The number of people that Kravchik has had to convince that, okay, it's okay for you to be out there betting the ranch, that this isn't going to just blow up as soon as you do this. I mean, it's kind of, it's amazing we're at the point that we are. Because once you put this out there and you have an Elaine Hurst, I, I've said that Elaine Hurstberg cost Uber 60 billion, okay? And the reason why it cost them 60 billion is be, before Elaine Hurstberg, uh, Goldman Sachs was out there at 120 billion, the, the valuation, and it goes out at 60. And the only significant thing that happened between those two times was Elaine Hurstberg. And so in fact, you know, there, this, the opportunity, the risks associated with doing this and having it work, I mean, it has to really work. Can't crash, can't kill anybody, at least and for a while. I mean, certainly there will be a crash, there will be people dying, nothing is perfect, understood. But at the beginning, you can't have another one of this thing. Otherwise, I mean, you lose the ranch. And so in fact, you know, it, it, the reasons I would think for the fits and starts are, man, yeah, a lot of people to convince and say, it's okay, it's okay. Without having the public sector out there saying, oh, you follow all these steps that we have in our regulation, and therefore we anoint you. And in fact, when they do that, what does it mean? I followed the steps, I did all that, something happened, it's your problem. You know, this thing is they're doing it on their nickel, their their ranch, their everything. And so they have to assume that responsibility. They can't go out and say, oh, the dog ate my homework or da, 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 da. You know, so I think, I think it's amazing that somebody without the, the, the support of the public sector saying, hey, you know, uh, just follow these steps and you'll be okay, which really means you know, you can push it off on us. Um, that's the that's the big achievement here. Yeah, there, there's there's, there's definitely like a there's a reputation issue at, here. I think also it's you know yeah. when, when when Uber had the the the, the Elaine Hersberg uh, crash, uh, they were sort of at the at the the you know the nadir of their reputation as a company. They had just ousted their CEO. Uh, they were sort of you know, they're, they're talk, yeah, there's all these reports about, uh, uh, you know, sort of flouting, uh, you know, flouting the law and uh, toxic workplace culture. Uh, Waymo is almost the exact opposite. Well, first, they're not, they're not a household name, but they are affiliated with Google. And Google obviously enjoys a very uh, esteemed reputation uh, for, for lots of different things. So, the, you know, the, for Waymo to sort of stick its neck out, like I think what you're suggesting, and, and, and to do this, uh, represents a huge risk for internally for the company, but also it's meant to be a uh, a huge vote of confidence in, in in this in this tiny little company that they've got in Waymo, saying this this technology has reached a point now where we are we feel that uh, we have minimized risk, we have minimized our liability, and this is something that we can now roll out to the public in a safe and and sort of uh, obviously very tightly controlled way. So as to you know, uh, get to the point where they can start to scale and, and expand and make it bigger and, and make it more significant. What's yeah. been their community out community outreach on on this, Andrew? I mean, we talk about this often that none of this is going to work if 
if people don't want it, if the community is not behind it, what have, what have they been able to do there in Arizona that's enabled them to have these customers and not have all kinds of problems with them? Yeah, uh, it, it, not a lot is known. They, they've um, they've uh, made a few, uh, I think, announcements about some public, you know, some sort of PSAs that they've done. They've paid for a few advertisements and a few PSAs. They've partnered with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and a number of other uh, sort of uh, um, road safety uh, advocacy groups uh, as a way to sort of spread the message mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, self-driving cars are here and they're meant to be safe and they're meant to reduce the number of fatalities that happen on the road. And this is about uh, minimizing human error uh, and making the roads, you know, uh, safer and less deadly for people. Um, so I think they've done a, a little bit of legwork in that respect. That said, um, sort of like as a, as a bigger issue, um, and I'm sure if you, if you talk to people in the Phoenix area versus, you know, someone in uh, Detroit or New York or, or wherever, somewhere else in the country, you may get a different answer because in Phoenix, there's a lot more self-driving car testing going on as well as San Francisco, the Bay Area, than there is really anywhere else in the country right now. Uh, but that said, there still is a pretty big um, perception gap that I think these companies have to deal with, which is that there have been numerous polls that have come out time and time again uh, that show that the vast majority of people uh, are, are, are skeptical. They don't feel like the technology is ready. They've heard about the Uber crash, uh, most likely, and that has obviously uh, shifted their perception about this technology. Uh, they, you know, they, they uh, say that they would never, you know, people say that, you know, they would never get in uh, a self-driving car. Uh, they don't think it would be safe. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, that's sort of what the, these companies are, 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 have to deal with. And it's, it's, it's logical that people haven't had access to these vehicles. It's a, a fraction of a fraction of the percent of the population have actually experienced the self-driving technology firsthand. Uh, you know, Tesla doesn't count. They, they, they may, you may think you've, you've experienced a self-driving car because you've been in a Tesla. That's not the case, I assure you. Uh, so it, I think that there's just, a, there's a really yawning perception gap that all these companies still have to deal with but it's, you know, they're at a disadvantage because it's just about sort of the lack of scale that to achieve that, that understanding that doesn't exist yet. Well, on that subject, uh, in The Driven, uh, they report that Elon Musk had a comment on all this in a tweet that he sent to ARK Investments' Tasha Kenny. He said, quote, Waymo is impressive, but a highly specialized solution. The Tesla approach is a general solution. The latest build is capable of zero intervention drives. We'll release limited beta in a few weeks. So that's his take on this. And then Waymo replied to that. Actually, there was a it was a rare a rare jab from Waymo. Waymo usually uh, I, I've asked them for comment on Musk and his sort of proclamations about self driving cars over the years, and they always well they do their, <laughs> they do you know backflips to avoid uh, making any sort of comment, but. Waymo's Twitter account responded to uh, uh, Musk's tweet uh, with, uh, I think a, it was a photo of their, of their steering wheel in their Chrysler Pacifica minivans that show you know, uh, a couple of signs that say, please keep your hands off the wheel. The Waymo driver is in control at all times. Uh, and I think the response was like, yeah, we specialize in zero intervention driving. Come, come check us out. <laughs> Uh, so it was, it was an interesting little back and forth there and, and uh, not something that you, that you see from Waymo. I think it sort of speaks to their kind of rising level of confidence about their technology. 
Just thought we need another Twitter war. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Twitter war, and it's you know, I mean, Elon's getting a bunch of free advertising, and and you know, and what he he's promoting those things to sell his cars, which is something that the rest of the auto industry doesn't do. They have some of this technology and, and, and you go talk to a salesman in a, in a showroom and, and they don't even want to show to you. They don't know it. It's not in any of the cars. They don't order it from the factory. It's not pushed. I mean, how many Cadillac CT6s have, uh, have the GM system? I mean, I, I, when they, when they said that they've driven 5 million miles, it implies that, that probably less than a thousand vehicles have added on since in what, three years that they've added on the market. It's, it's, it's totally depressing, but that's a completely different market. Right. It's a market that is out there selling a car that you or I are going, is going to buy and be responsible for. And if something happens, we're the problem. Okay. Not Elon. As soon as Elon says, hey, you buy one of these things, anything that happens, I'm the problem, then he can start talking like that. What Waymo's done out there is we're going to provide you mobility, and we're responsible. We're the ones. We aren't going to say, hey, you didn't grab the wheel. Hey, you didn't read the manual. Hey, you didn't read the fine print, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, that's what Elon needs to do if he really wants to start competing with what this is, which is the provision of mobility. Now, you know, the discussion is who's seen it? Essentially nobody. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, think, I feel like liability is, the, is sort of the big, I, I, I know that um, Alex Roy, who I'm sure you guys have heard of. Yeah, who, sure, of course, we know Alex, a good friend. Yeah, works at, works at Argo now. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's always been a, a point that he brings up constantly. Yeah. I feel like it is sort of the, the very, it's the discerning point. It's not a self-driving car until uh, the liability is shifted to the company that operates the car as opposed to whomever is in the car at the time of the operation. Right. And, and, and speaking right. of Uber, we saw recently um, the, the driver who was behind the wheel, uh, who was not paying attention to the road uh, at right. that test vehicle when it, when it struck and killed Elaine Hersberg was just recently uh, um, charged with negligent homicide, I think, by the, uh, by the local authorities there in Arizona. Yeah. So uh, also a sort of a factors in like, you know, you, if you're riding in one of these Waymo vehicles and it gets into a crash and, and someone is injured, uh, if, if you're not liable, it's, it's got to be Waymo because uh, yeah, you're in the backseat. Yeah, and I'm sure Waymo, I mean, that, that's the reason why that's, it's, it's been difficult for them to go out there. And not only is it liable to fix that, it's all, you know, the reputation, all the, the, the things that come out of that that, that, that are really the expensive uh, piece of that, not not the you know the hospitalization or the burial or the person that 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 that, uh, that got injured, but it, it's a completely different thing. I would love to see the ins the insurance bill for 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 Waymo. <laughs> what the insurance companies are charging them for for these would be a very fascinating document. I, I suspect it's self insured. I, it, it, it almost has to be. I mean, yeah. It, it, and, and the reason why it's, I, I don't, I don't think Mike Scrutato is writing a, a degree is writing, is writing a, a, a policy for them, although he'd probably love to, but you, you, you can imagine that any insurance policy is going to make sure that there's, there's some margin on whatever they charge and they don't know how well this operates as well as Waymo does. So yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's undoubtedly self-insured, but, but that self-insurance, you know, again, insurance, 
Insurance only sort of fixes things. It really doesn't fix the reputation. It doesn't, I mean, if you want, if you want insurance for that, I mean, you're out of business. I mean, you basically, again, that's why the ranch is on the table. It's being bet on these things. And that's, that's why, you know, if anybody thinks, oh my goodness, we should be, it should be all over the place. The getting started is the toughest piece. Now, my part of my issue with where they are, they are probably in a place where it's as easy, easiest place in the world to do it. Okay, you, know, you mean in terms of like the uh, the uh, the the domain, the operational domain, the, the the operational design domain. There, there, it's a bunch of white folks. It's a bunch of you know rich people. It's a bunch of people with with broad streets. It's it's uh, you know if if the system uh, has to uh, shut down, they have fourteen cars in the driveway. You know, I'm overstating it, of course. Not but much snow is, either, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, what 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 we're trying to do is get them to come to some place in which. The mobility that they're providing, the affordable, the opportunity to provide affordable mobility to people, changes those people's lives, changes their their quality of life, affords them an opportunity to go to an Amazon facility and earn a fifteen dollar, sixteen dollar an hour job that has some benefits. New Jersey Transit doesn't go to the Robbinsville facility of of of, of uh, of Amazon, and so people in Trenton can't go out there, okay? Otherwise, they have to spend all their money buying their own car. A Waymo operating in Trenton in a operational design domain that, holy mackerel, 100 square miles in New Jersey, how many people could, number of people that you could serve, that you could improve the quality of their lives and so on, and forget about going out on the New Jersey Turnpike or any place, I mean, 25 miles an hour and so on, operational design domain of a street network that they've certainly tested, which the opportunity they have here is they've started on one, they can now take their, their attendance and, and, and expand it and, and get it to work on a bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one, each time taking the people and, and moving them out. This is how this can scale and, and become not only a revenue generator for them, a profit generator for them, but also a whole sector of population that's uh, essentially been left behind by the automobile. My, my question for you guys, though, is is how long is it going to take to scale? I mean, it took Waymo better part of three, almost four years before they got confident enough to operate in a, just a 50 square mile area in this super easy uh, ODD, you know, the Phoenix area, dry conditions, flat pretty pretty basic road layout wide roads you know not a lot of uh not a lot of dynamic you know uh you know uh, obstacles to overcome so how long does it take to, to get out to the trenton area or you know? I, I, I guess you know <laughs> i'm a very optimistic guy i don't think very long okay because the toughest piece is to get started the toughest piece is the is to convince the board, the, the lawyers, the everybody. It's, it's the technological piece, in a sense. The technology. But the problem is, is it's the whole social thing. And to get the people who are going to ride it decide, oh my goodness, hey, there's no, this really, uh, I don't need to be apprehensive. Yeah, of course. The, the, uh, you know, once you have that, you have the opportunity of it 
to be to, to be uh, exponential, to really gr to grow to grow fast. The first step because either you're going to be a, a renegade and say, "Lawyer up, we're going out there, we're going to do it to hell with you guys," okay? <laughs> or holy hell, I got to make sure that nothing bad happens. I mean, really make sure because I'm responsible. It's on me. We want to apologize for a couple of audio dropouts we've had here and there, but uh, we'll continue in just a moment. But this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, you can look for the white paper. It's titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under a tab called Insights and News. Lots of great information there to help you make an informed decision about investing. ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. In the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, Alan, you've got more from our guest, Andrew Hawkins of The Verge. Amazon has unveiled its new electric delivery vans built by Rivian. Andrew, give us a little overview there. Yeah, so uh, Rivian is pretty a pretty interesting company. They have um, we've known about them for a couple of years now, but they've been operating in stealth for even longer than they've been public. I think uh, they have offices in Michigan, California, Illinois, uh, I believe, uh, also in, in Europe, and uh, um, they've received just an ungodly amount of uh, investment money from a number of huge players, among them Ford. Uh, Cox Automotive and, uh, and Amazon. And part of the deal with Amazon was that Rivian was going to build, um, using its, uh, its electric vehicle technology, its drivetrain technology, uh, a fleet of delivery vans uh, for, for Amazon to use, which obviously would have uh, huge implications for uh, the amount of emissions that come out of the delivery, the logistics sector uh, specifically, uh, which, you know, there's, there's a, a pretty hefty chunk of the amount of carbon emissions come out of that sector. Um, so the idea that you could sort of uh, swap out a lot of the last mile delivery vehicles that we have on the road, sort of uh, making, delivering our Amazon packages and our, uh, you know, all of our groceries and things like that um, in our communities across the country with uh, uh, zero emission uh, electric vehicles. So the company uh, unveiled uh, the, its prototype uh, just this week. Uh, it's a delivery van. It looks very similar to uh, the delivery vans that are out there already today that are um, uh, gas-powered or combustion engine vehicles. Uh, but uh, these ones, there's a, there's a few things about them that are um, kind of unique and interesting. You know, obviously there's, Amazon has, uh, you know, is outfitting these vehicles or wants these vehicles outfitted with, uh, you know, all of its uh, in-car technology that it's been working very hard on, such as uh, uh, Alexa, the voice assistant, and uh, among other things. There's also going to be uh, cameras that, that allow for 360-degree uh, view for the drivers uh, uh, and, uh, you know, sort of more reinforced uh, siding doors, automatic doors, things like that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a cool project, I think, that they're working on. Um, Rivian has not had to start manufacturing vehicles at scale yet. We have not seen that capability from this company. Uh, we could, you could just, all you have to do is look at Tesla to see how difficult it is for a company that has never had to do this before to try to start doing it, to see sort of what problems you could possibly run into. 
Um, the company, you know, but that said, Rivian, like I said, has a lot of money in its bank account right now. Uh, that should provide some buffer, but I think we still have a, a lot to see from them as to whether or not they can actually meet these manufacturing goals. Uh, and when you have a customer like Amazon, uh, you know, they have some, you know, uh, expectations of you as well. They, they put money into you and they've also, also ordered your product. So there's, some, there's a lot of expectations riding on Rivian right now to actually deliver these vehicles. So, so my question on that is, does it have a redundant steering system and does it have a redundant braking system? And yeah, if so, Zook's already putting in the automated system. It, in fact, is going to allow those things to go out there. And as I like to say, uh, deliver my package between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. when it's really easy out there. And they can also drive the cost of, of delivery to my house essentially to zero. Thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a great question. And that was not included in the, in the announcement <laughs> from Amazon. So. And I think that that's also, I think there, I think there is the expectation that eventually, you know, Amazon's going to want to see a return on its best in, in investment in Zooks. Uh, and there's a, you know, there's an obvious corollary there. Uh, obvious. Uh, you know, Zooks before being purchased by Amazon, they were pretty much working exclusively on a ride hailing feature. Uh, that's not Amazon's uh core strength right hailing they have no real uh, they don't really have any experience in the in that in that era, uh, industry so uh it would be it'll it, it may take a while i think for zooks to shift its focus from uh, from sort of right hailing to delivery but that said it seems like uh delivery autonomous delivery right now uh is a is a sort of uh, uh while right hailing is kind of uh, dipping in terms of uh, the amount of investment and the amount of interest in that technology, thanks in part to the to the COVID crisis, uh, delivery is sort of uh, ticking up. Uh, people are staying home; they have more need for delivery. There's a need to reduce costs associated with logistics. You see a lot of trucking companies that are 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 having a lot of making a lot of deals, doing a lot of partnerships, sort of uh, very similar to sort of uh, uh, what a lot of the ride hailing companies were doing, you know, three or four years ago. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see if Amazon can bring Rivian's technology and Zooks's technology together under one vehicle, under, you know, sort of uh, in one program and, and what that will look like. Andrew, one of the pillars of Amazon is free shipping. Okay. Right now it, it's, it's a big item in their balance sheet. Okay. And if they can reduce that, guess what? The difference goes right to the bottom line. I mean, there is such an enormous force within Amazon to reduce the cost of shipping, to make it more efficient, to do it at a better time, and so on and so forth. And I don't think it's two-hour delivery. It's really the overnight. And the whole opportunity of having, you know, essentially no kids playing ball, no, no roads, uh, um, uh, and nobody even knowing what's going on out there to be able to run. Talk about an easy operational design domain in which you can basically come out there. And if the thing crashes, there's no Elaine Herzberger in there, okay? And so therefore, my goodness, it's gotta be, and whether or not Zook's got the idea, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Zook's just got permission, I think, in the state of California, didn't they, to, to start uh, testing self-driving vehicles without yeah, safety yeah, drivers? I think they have, they did, they did, did get the, the, the driver list, I think now number four that have it, but, but it, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe, and, maybe they'll give no, you a free ride to Whole Foods. That's what know <laughs> a little bit about how, how Amazon operates. I mean, you know, Amazon's control. 
I don't know, whatever. It just, I mean, Alan, I think um, you, raised so a really, you raised a really important point here because if, if the whole point of, uh, of self-driving car technology is to make things safer, it can't all just be about uh, making things more, making deliveries more efficient, efficient. It has to be about improving safety, imp decreasing the amount of, uh, of traffic crashes, of fatalities that are on the road right sure. now. I mean, we just saw, I think it was uh, late last year, a number of investigative pieces published in the New York Times and, and elsewhere about sort of how uh, there have been a, a, just a, a rash of, of, of fatal crashes and, and, and accidents associated with Amazon vehicles because of their, you know, relentless push for uh, e-commerce domination. You know, they had, there was such a, they were pushing their contract delivery guys so hard to make deliveries as fast as possible uh, that they were, they were uh, putting their lives at risk, putting people's lives on the road at risk. Uh, and it was just, it, it's a not, it's not a sustainable thing. And the, the company really hasn't had uh, to reckon with that, I think. So, the question is, if you can, if you can find some way to mitigate that with this autonomous vehicle company that you've purchased, well, that would be a huge win. Um, but you know, obviously, there's still a lot of, a lot of challenges there. Look, it's great when you can put a a, a well qualified individual behind the wheel to provide the mobility if you can afford it, both either people or goods. But as Uber and Lyft, they can't scale beyond one percent of the trips. Why? Because you can't find enough gig workers to be able to do it. You're not going to serve 10% of the trips. You're not going to provide mobility to all these folks. You can't do it. You have to automate. Same thing now that we're finding with respect to goods delivery and goods movement. There aren't enough. The reason, part of the reason those people are so pushed is because they don't have enough qualified individuals to, to move the stuff that we're all buying from them now and, and want it. And so all of a sudden, not only is it good for the bottom line, not only is it good for safety, but you know it allows you it allows you to even scale better to have that piece in there. And if those forces aren't big enough to move Zooks and Mister, I don't. Know, I mean, talk to me here, Andrew. I mean, it's <laughs> whoa. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's. I think it's got to be a real driving force behind all this, and. Uh, you know, if, if, if we're in sort of the trough of disillusionment or maybe we're coming out of it, I don't, I don't know exactly, but uh, you know, there needs to be, they, they, need, they, they need to see some, some, some positive returns, I think, on this technology that they've been pumping billions of dollars into over the last, uh, you know, uh, I guess close to a decade now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the Waymo announcement from this week is a good indication that um, things are starting to trend in the positive direction for self-driving cars, uh, but it's still, you know, not at the scale that it needs to be. And I think a lot of those sort of early rosy predictions that we had about, you know, self-driving cars coming in and just sort of remaking society from the ground up got, you know, a, a hefty dose of cold water thrown on it after what happened in Tempe to, to Lane Hertzberg. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, there's still, there's still a ways to go, I think. There's something else in the in the Smart Driving Cars newsletter that you've written about, uh, Andrew, the aviation startup Boom Supersonic. They've unveiled a prototype for a commercial supersonic jet. Kind of deja vu here, I guess. <laughs> yes, uh, all all uh, that's precursor is new again. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. I was just talking to uh, one of my colleagues, uh, one of our editors at The Verge, who who lives in Amsterdam. And he was reminiscing to me about, you know, a flight that he did with the Concord, with Concord, uh, you know, a, a few years back, you know, over a decade ago, probably at this point, or two decades ago, I guess, was 
it must have been because the the Concord got shut down in the early uh, early part of the of the the millennia. So uh, yeah, you've got this uh, uh, new company that's uh, coming back, uh, trying to bring supersonic uh, uh, flying back into style. Uh, a heavy emphasis on the, on the style since we knew style was was a, a big part of Concord's appeal. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. They uh, unveiled a what's called a demonstrator, which is a scaled. Uh, down version of of the what the plane will eventually look like if it uh, if it actually gets built, um, and it's about seventy one feet long. It's called the XB one, uh, and they're going to start testing uh, next year. Uh, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see sort of how they are able to do it because um, it is illegal to fly supersonic jets over U.S. soil because of the accompanying uh, sonic boom that happens when you break the sound bar barrier. Uh, so they will have to do a lot of testing, I assume, over the water. Uh, but they're based in Denver. And the last I checked, there isn't a large source of water in Denver. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see sort of, um, uh, it doesn't seem like they'll be going uh, at exactly, they'll be breaking the sound barrier anytime soon. Uh, but it is interesting to see this, this technology uh, coming back into style uh, and, uh, um, and sort of what happens with it. Yeah, talk about a trough of disillusionment associated here. I mean, um, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's tough to get started well. You know, the Concord started, but economics were really in the toilet. I, I took one ride 26 years ago. Um, you know, I'm glad I took one ride 26 years ago, but, um, you know, one ride. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, talk about lack of scale, um, sonic boom is a problem. Um, we then go just straight up and just get the hell out of the atmosphere, go hypersonic and boom, 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 and whatever. I mean, there, there's, uh, and, uh, well, right, right now, all of the airlines are, are struggling anyway, but, uh, hopefully that's a short term issue. Yeah, but there, there are, at the top end, there are a few people who, who would, would pay at least something uh, to get it to, to any kind of scale is who knows what. But uh, I sort of, uh, I look at it and, you know, it's, look at what SpaceX has done. I mean, look at what SpaceX has done. Yep. My goodness. I mean, it came out of the private sector. Yes, it had some government contracts. But I mean, so maybe, you know, having one of these efforts really come out of Again, um, you know, the investment community putting it up, maybe, maybe it could, you know, get over that, that initiation hurdle. The, having enough initiation energy to get it to something that, you know, has the opportunity to grow exponentially. I mean, that's the tough thing. Yeah, you know, what the brothers do it, you know, I mean, let's go back to 1903 and so on. And what was it, 1925 or so before? Or maybe a 1917 or 16 World War One kind of helped that and got it going. But you know, I mean, that's right. Hey, Andrew, there was one more headline I wanted to bring up with you since we have you here uh, you, that you wrote recently. Waymo and and cruise safety drivers face a bleak choice: pandemic or pollution. Give us a little taste of that story. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the the backup drivers that ride around in these vehicles, uh, mostly in the in the Bay Area and California, not a very glamorous job uh, to say the least. Um, but they, I've been talking to a bunch of them over the last few months, and they've been telling me 
Uh, they have a lot of concerns about uh, sort of the, both these companies approach to safety amidst the pandemic. They feel like there's a rush to get the vehicles back out on the road before it's actually safe to do so. There's concerns about dual driving setups when you've got two people in the vehicle and obviously there's no social distancing that can uh, take place in, in, uh, in that type of situation. Uh, and then with the, with the wildfires that California was having over the last few months, uh, obviously the, the air quality was, uh, was terrible, was very unhealthy. Uh, and yet Waymo and Cruz both continued to operate its vehicles during that time. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, complaints that I was hearing from these folks, feelings that their that their health was being, uh, you know, uh, not being there was not appropriate considerations that their their health was in jeopardy because of the these companies and their their desire to get their vehicles back out on the road. And I think the interest one of the interesting elements of all of this is that uh, uh, none of these folks and we're talking hundreds of people that for both of these companies, neither none none of them work for Waymo or Cruise. They work for uh, third-party contractors, vendors uh, um, that uh, are, are sort of, they provide, they, they're actually employed with those companies as opposed to Waymo and Cruise. So there's a, there's kind of a buffer between, you know, there's a bit, there's a bit of distance between the, the companies themselves and the people that are out on the road, uh, you know, riding around in these vehicles as they rack up miles and gather data and, and collect sensing data and all that sort of stuff and gather experience. Um, and you know it's a it's a weird job to have too because it's a job with sort of the op the, the op you're going to be obsolete eventually, uh, or you know that's sort of what the company intends eventually is that you you won't have a job. This is not a a, a career necessarily. It's you know it's something that you know a lot of middle class people uh, end up doing. They, they you know they the pay is you know not terrible, uh, but it's also it's not comparable to any of the folks that are actually salaried employees at Waymo and Cruise. So. Uh, there's there's a bit of a disconnect there. It seems like between the companies that are espousing safety and wanting to improve safety through this technology, and then how they uh, actually operate out on the ground uh, regarding these these contract workers. Interesting, Alan. You've got the uh, fourth annual Princeton Smart Driving Cars Summit uh, in the planning stages now for December. Uh, yeah. 8th through the 10th and uh, we're going to say that I made that thing slip I keep making it slip from May to uh, to October and uh, December we're going to do December damn it I mean at least we're all going to get together and on on Zoom or whatever platform and at least uh, uh, take note where are we where have we been how do we move forward how do we help this uh, how do we how do we how do we really try to it's something good or do we, do we give up? I mean, you know, I don't right. Well, it will be virtual and uh, the planning is underway for the 8th through the 10th of, of December. And uh, Andrew, this is your official invite. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have you, uh, have you participate with us. Again, we try to do this just to discuss the issues. I mean, none of us really, I mean, None of us could tell the future anybody better than anybody else, uh, but to try to get this this really oriented well, uh, to me, I think uh, the the whole evolution of the technology really has has sort of gone well. It's it's really focused on on trying to improve safety automatically in the vehicles that we buy, and it'd just be nice to see more automakers uh, really push it and, and really improve it as a and 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 sell it to. The customers and the other one is is to provide mobility to 
so that it improves people's lives. I mean, the only reason you travel is to improve your own personal utility and to improve your quality of life. Otherwise, you stay home. We've stayed home way too much uh, <laughs> since March, and we're all dying to get, a, not dying, but all, all wanting to get out there. And, and really, uh, for some of us that happen to have the wherewithals, it's pretty darn easy. For a lot of folks, it is non-trivial, and, uh, and we could do a heck of a lot more for those folks. And this is an opportunity to do it because this is a large part of it is being done with, uh, with, with uh, Moore's Law. And, and, and for things that you have Moore's Law going for you, it just means, boy, it's going to get better and better. It's going to get cheaper and cheaper. And darn it, um, let's continue to do that. But in the end, you have to deal with people. You have to deal with the social interaction. You have to deal with, with making them comfortable, making them want to welcome this thing, saying it's okay if it comes down my street. It's not an invasion. It's not going to kill my children. It's not going to do all those things. And, and that's not an easy thing to do. But, you know, writing a code is a whole hell of a lot easier than that. <laughs> well, Andrew, uh, people can find you at theverge.com, the I believe. And we really want to thank you for being with us and thank continue the good work for us to have you. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Any yeah. any time at all, I'm ha happy to do it. In uh, and thank you. And we watch you closely, and we we uh, we, we grab you a lot uh, because uh, you know you're you're really in there. And, and thank you for doing all that. It's 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 really important. And and I think you know you you, you call it straight. And and uh, yeah, there, there's reason to promote. There's reason to be uh, enthusiastic and so on. But there but but the faking it and. And of course, the lying, cheating, and stealing, we can't put up with any of that stuff, okay? That, you know, that's a no-no. And, um, and we've got to make sure that that's not occurring here. That's well, we, we appreciate your work, Andrew. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. And more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud. You can find us now on Amazon Music, too, in your Rivian van. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at TextaNation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching, and please stay safe. Stay safe and vote. Get prepared to vote. <laughs>